This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser on Bloomberg Radio. So in an upcoming edition of Bloomberg Business Week Talks, it will be featured in the magazine. We're going to talk to one of this year's successful IPOs, which is up more than 100% since its debut as an ADR on the New York Stock Exchange in September. It's the company that has patented a synthetic version of the active ingredient in so-called magic mushrooms for use in treatment-resistant depression. We are delighted to welcome to Bloomberg Radio Compass Pathways Chairman, CEO, and co-founder George Goldsmith. He joins us on the phone overseas in Europe. George, it is so great to have you here with us. We've been talking about your company since it was featured in Business Week magazine. How are you? I'm doing well, Carol, and thank you so much for having me on this evening. Well, it's great, to, it's great to have you here, and what a year it's been, and what a year to go public. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit of, uh, about your company and, and how you came across this, because I do understand it's a pretty personal story. Um, yes, it is a personal story, and I think that in, in many ways, so many interesting companies do form that way. And, and so from our point of view, we had a our son really struggled with mental health issues when he went to university, like far too many young people do. We thought, how hard could this be? You know, there are good treatments and therapies. Yet the more he encountered, the more difficult it was for him to be recognizable to us with the side effects, and it didn't really help him. So we then started talking to lots of different people, doing our own research. My co-founder and wife, uh, Ekaterina Maneskaya, is a doctor. And, and in her own research, she stumbled across uh, psilocybin and psilocybin research, and we became really intrigued by this. Um, the other thing that happened simultaneously is the more people we talked about our own challenges that we were facing, the more we heard from others about their challenges. And these would be long-term friends who we'd known for quite a while, but they never felt comfortable sharing their own challenges until we did. And that really led us to, to understand that almost everybody has a story of, you know, how the current system isn't quite helping enough people well enough. And that really inspired us to look at this research. We saw its promise and, uh, and the issue is how do we bring it to patients, not just bring it into the next journal article. And journal articles are critically important, but they're necessary, but not sufficient to bring this to patients. And that's really our commitment. Well, and I do, you know, it's interesting. I was doing some reading on this and that my understanding is for those, you know, patients and, and individuals who, who deal with and, and suffer uh, depression, that the existing treatments only really work for about 70% of patients, leaving as many as 90 million still struggling around the world. I think that's some World Health Organization. So it is a huge, and I hate to put it in business terms, but we are Bloomberg. It's a huge market. <laughs> uh, it is. I hate Forgive to me. create markets of suffering. But, I know. You know Forgive I, me. It is a huge market, right, in that sense. And so there's a tremendous amount of suffering. And I think we've been pretty good at developing tools to ameliorate 70% of that. But the 30% is quite quite difficult because what happens is with each new treatment, those people actually have less and less likelihood to be helped by what's next. And there's been a very large studies in the U.S. by the National Institute of Mental Health. And, and we really have documentation for that. So if we have the opportunity to do something unique here, mm -hmm. which is a single dose. So what we do is we provide a very high dose of psilocybin in a carefully controlled setting under supervision by specially trained therapists. So this isn't anything that anyone would do at home. And um, patients listen to a special soundtrack and they're really supported through this process. And what happens is that 
afterwards, for many patients, they experience an immediate reduction in depression that actually lasts for quite a while. Wow. And what our research is really looking at is, well, who benefits? Not everyone. Mm-hmm. So who doesn't? And what separates the people who benefit for a few weeks from the single dose for a few months and people who actually have even longer experiences? So we've went to the FDA and actually we're operating now in 10 countries doing clinical research, 21 research sites. And we're really looking at how do we do the real deep research to generate the information and insight we need to go to what's the next phase for us, which would be phase three trials. And we'll be reporting out on our phase two trials about a year from now. So we've been really excited about the progress. Yeah, and I should say that the FDA has named your experimental treatment, quote, a breakthrough therapy, which is, you know, really wonderful to kind of get that acknowledgement. But it also means now you've got to do more rigorous, more risk adverse testing. It's a lot of pressure, I'm assuming. And you've got to make sure you're working with the right scientists, the best scientists, the best clinical trials, correct? Well, absolutely. And and absolutely. And then even more so, right? Because obviously there's a history here. um, And Mm -hmm. what we're looking to do is the highest quality, rigorous, most rigorous research. The first port of call for us was actually, even before we formed the company, to speak with regulators, payers, just to understand what did they think about this? And what we were really struck by in, in all the conversations and the breakthrough therapy designation is, a, I think, a perfect example of this. The problem is so big. That's what you said. You know, there's such a huge amount of suffering here. The tools we have are good for some, but not good enough. Right. And they just saw that this is for promising. So what we found is that a huge amount of support, but we really have to get this right. We have to get it right for patients, for their families, and society. Just got about a minute, and then I've got to do some news, and then we'll come back. But how big of a market opportunity do you think is there for Compass Pathways? Just quickly. Well, I think that what we see in this is that obviously there are about 90 million people suffering from so-called treatment-resistant depression. But to be clear, this isn't people. Who, this is not a group of people who are resisting treatment. This is a group of people right. for whom our treatments don't work. And so perhaps you know I think this is really really important. But that's just the start because really what we're looking at is working on areas of mental health where people get caught in patterns of negative thinking or patterns of obsessive thinking. That happens in other areas like anxiety or OCD or other things. And we're really curious about how could this mechanism of a high dose of psilocybin therapy yield benefit for other classes of people who aren't helped enough. So is this like a potentially a multi-billion dollar drug potential? Just quickly, just got about 15 seconds here. Um, Well, I think that it is potential to have it be a therapy. It's really important that it's not a drug. It's a drug that's given in combination with psychological support. And that's the critical bit. Hey, so before I move on, though, you did say, and I thought this was a really important distinction, George, as you said, it's not a drug, it's a potential therapy. Having said that, I do think, you know, our listeners are curious um, about how big that market size might be. Anxiety disorders, depression, sure. the depression treatment market, it's expected to be something like $21 billion by 2025. So what's your expectation or thoughts on this? So a few things. One is uh, I appreciate your digging into this. So just to give you some, and your listeners some perspective, uh, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide, just depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
in the U.S., the annual cost of depression is forecast to be about $200 billion per year. And a large number of that is direct costs of outpatients, inpatient medical services, pharmaceutical services. And the number you referred to is largely in the pharmaceutical space. Now, what we know is that about a third of patients, as you mentioned, simply aren't helped. And the third of patients that aren't helped actually are about three to four times more expensive, two to three, depends on kind of where where you're doing the data, um, than patients who are helped by these medicines. Um, And so we have not only a very large group of patients who aren't helped, but also those are the most expensive patients. And so if we could make a difference in their lives, I think there's a huge opportunity to really um, develop a new model of care for them. And this is what's so interesting about what we're doing. It is a therapy, right? It's a single dose under supervised circumstances uh, with preparation and then some follow-up afterwards. And what's really unique about this, uh, they did some really fascinating work at Johns Hopkins where a lot of this research was uh, reborn mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, over 10 years ago. One of the questions they asked patients who had gone through this, and they asked this question six weeks after this experience. They said, how meaningful would you say this experience was in your life? Personally meaningful. And people were given, you know, is it the most meaningful, the top five, you know, and so over 70% said the single experience was one of the top five most meaningful experiences of their life. Right. So you can't, and you can't really put, you can't, you can't, it was the most meaningful. <laughs> you can't, right. No, no, no. And, and I wish you, we were in person because you could see me smiling because you can't put a value on it. And I have a sister who works in this area. So I've kind of grown up learning about this. And I agree that there's an unbelievable cost by not you know, helping out this sector of our population. And also it's invaluable in terms of they basically get their lives back. Having said that, you kind of evaded my answer. So is this like a, a multi-billion dollar potential treatment or tens well, of... Bi- I think it is a multi... Yes, I think it is multi-billion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had... So, but again... That's if the trials work. So well, we well, what's, well let, here, right? let's, let's uh, talk about that because that's a big deal. I mean, listen, we're all learning about the drug process, right, because of the drug approval process, yeah. because of COVID. What challenges does, does the U.S. present? What regulatory hurdles still remain? And I, I do wonder if you're following kind of the playbook from marijuana, kind of prescription first, recreational second. How are you thinking about it? Not at all. Okay. No, no we're, we're really thinking about the huge unmet need there is for patients. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, what we're really focused on is access. And that means approval by Medicaid, by, you know, insurers. So from day one, we've been really focusing on making sure that if this, in fact, is successful in trials, people have access to it. And that means working with insurers, even in the design of clinical trials, to make sure they have the evidence that right. says, hey, this for this patient population. So that's super important to us. It's a different model than a recreational model. You're going to have to come back because I want to talk more. We still have a few minutes, but I just want to squeeze in some things. <laughs> when, when did you recognize the potential in this space? Was it after your son or was it when you started doing some digging? Like, what was the thing that you just said, kind of the aha moment? Well, the aha moment was being awakened in February 2013 by Katya, my wife, who was busy doing medical research in her sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a doctor, and she said, I came across this thing called psilocybin. Um, it's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. You were in the 60s and 70s. What do you think of this? <laughs> so, Say what, you know, honey? <laughs> finding this. <laughs> and 
And I, you know, obviously I grew up in that time, so I was familiar with these things, but it was just a whole yeah. world that I had completely forgotten about from that time. So listen, just got about 45 seconds left here. Why synthetic yeah. um, psilocybin? And I'm just curious how you produce super it. Super easy. And just quickly, yeah, it's sorry. Super easy. Um, we need to, it's a medicine, so we need to know exactly what patients are receiving, what the dose is. It has to be the same quality every place on the planet that it's given. So that's why you have to use synthetic. It's the regulatory path forward. It's one where we always know there are no impurities, that people get exactly what it says on the tin. And then we can do controlled research. So it's super important that in a medical setting, we use synthesized psilocybin. And that's something that we've spent a lot of time developing and working with regulators on both sides of the Atlantic to make sure it's the highest purity and genuinely a medicine with evidence. I'll just end, the difference between a drug and, an ev- and a medicine is mm-hmm. evidence. And so we're creating a medicine from this, which is psilocybin, our proprietary form of that, right. and then with the evidence that works. Got it. George, we have to go. Please come back. Uh, I'd love to learn more. George Goldsmith and also listen to more of the the trials. George, of course, of Compass Pathways. 